Good morning, everyone. We're going to be reading from 1 Chronicles, chapter 29, from verse 1 through to verse 9. So if you want to flip to that, I shall read. So chapter um, 29, verse 1. And David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great. For the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord. So I have provided for the house of my God, so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze, the the iron for the things of iron, and wood for the things of wood, besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, antimony, coloured stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble. Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own, of gold and silver, and because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house, and for all the work to be done by craftsmen, gold for the things of gold and silver for the things of silver. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? Then the leaders of fathers' houses made their free will offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and the officers over the king's work. They gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 darics of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord, in the care of Jehiel the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. This is the word of God. Hey everyone. Um, Sorry for whispering during the Bible reading. It's a dangerous thing walking around with a, a microphone attached to your head. Um, and hopefully we'll brought along your bronze and iron and silver and gold for the, for the collection today. Um, I don't know what you're thinking after that reading. Um, and it, you know, it just feels like such a, a different time, a different situation we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be jumping into this, this passage today. And, and my hope is it's going to really, um, I guess, open our minds as to how God views, um, views our resources and, and, and what he really actually invites us into as his people. We're going to get to that real soon. I will just say um, that to start off, uh, uh, COVID's brought a lot of new things, a lot of kind of new experiences in, in I'm sure for our, everyone in their roles and their jobs, whatever. We've had a whole bunch of new things with, with preaching. We've done uh, church online, we've done it on Zoom from our homes. But today's not the first because Jez was uh, ready to give the talk today. But along with seemingly half the families here at City Light, uh, one of his sons got COVID over the weekend. And so I've got Jez's notes here. And I'm actually feeling quite justified uh, because when I was in high school, I shouldn't really be saying this, but on at least one occasion, I downloaded a, an English speech from the internet and gave it. And teachers would always say, you know, when you plagiarise, you're only cheating yourself because school's meant to be preparing you for later in life. And so I'm feeling justified now that that experience means I'm not going into this completely cold. Um, but uh, as, I, as, I, as I make these my own, we'll be able to do it. I'm just figuring if every time that Jez has written insert cool skateboard analogy here. If I just skip that, um, it should be pretty seamless um, as we get into this today. If 
you haven't been with us over the last few weeks, um, we've been just going through just three weeks, just, I guess, reminding ourselves of, of our vision and direction as a church. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the fact that we are missionaries, that that is who we are, it's part of our identity. If you are someone who uh, follows Jesus and aspires to do that, and then what we want to see is people from every nation, but also from every generation, saved and brought into relationship with God. Then last week, we looked at, uh, at, at how that's going to happen in a sense, as, as, and what the church is meant to be as a body of people who are united around this one goal, each of us playing our own part. In, uh, like a body, we've got different parts with different roles. And today we're looking at this idea of stewardship, which is a term that you probably don't use in everyday um, talking very much. But in the church, it refers to the way that we handle our finances in order to advance the kingdom of God. And it's the case, isn't it, that how you use your finances reveals often some of your deepest beliefs. If you take impulse spending for an example, so everyone knows when you go to the uh, supermarket or the petrol station, they've got that section of things that you're not really there to get. You're there to get petrol, but you're going to get something else. Uh, up at Roselle Woolworths, which is the one I frequent the most, the way they've arranged the whole counter system, you've got to walk past this massive wall of half-priced Cadbury products. And for me at the moment, the weak spot is the caramel twirl. Um, that's my note, it's not Jez. It's just, they've got the perfect um, combination of the chocolate on the outside, caramel. And I don't know what they're doing at the Cadbury factory to get, that, to get the twirl, to get the surface area inside just right. It's amazing. So I just, I just get it. I just, it. It goes in the, in the, in the basket, what is, whatever else I've got. And it used to be the case that impulse spending was something that, yeah, you were just going to get, get pinged on at the supermarket. But these days, with PayPass and in-app purchases and subscriptions, and like we're on our computers and our phones, you can kind of just get this impulse buy anywhere. So you might be on your computer and an air fryer pops up for 200 bucks, and that's too much. But four payments of $50 over six weeks, that's a steal. So you chuck it in the trolley, never air fry anything, so who even knows what they're for. Or you'll be, be playing a video game. And again, Jez didn't talk about video games, but... Yeah, and you just be playing, having a good time, and then they'll offer you, you can spend like $5 to make your character, I know this is only part of the room here, but to make your character look a different colour, and then away you go. But in, the, in days past, there was a bit of a buffer system built in. If, when you had to use cash, you had to go to an ATM, get money out, there was that little pause where you'd just kind of stop and think, do I need this thing? But right now, we're just constantly available to get what we want when we want it. And this builds into us a really powerful set of secular beliefs. It builds into us the idea that we are self-ruling beings, the, the kings and queens of our own domain. And when we want something, we don't wait, we don't stop, we get it. And it builds into us this sense that we can and should feel good all of the time. So as soon as we feel down, we can buy something to make ourselves feel a little bit better. If I feel stressed, I buy some food. I feel unattractive, I buy some clothes. If I feel bored, I can buy some toys. And these are really unhealthy ways to kind of deal with these feelings. But the way that we've enabled ourselves to do that through money has a real impact on our souls. The fact that we think that we are these self-ruling beings that can get what we want, when we want, and feel good all the time just means that we are impatient, we, we switch aisles in the supermarket, we switch lanes in traffic, because we have this sense that we are the centre of the universe. But this belief that we need to feel good all the time I think as well, it's just one of the reasons we struggle with, different, with difficult emotions. And we don't realize it, but these tiny transactions are just reinforcing these deep beliefs in us. Our spending is not isolated from the rest of our lives. But if you're a believer here, your, your biggest concern with this must be that these beliefs are counter with, to the gospel. And rather than enlarging our souls, it actually shrivels them down. 
the way that things tend to work in our everyday life is that our actions form our habits and our habits form our beliefs and then we just work out what to do with those. But as followers of Jesus, our goal is to let the truth of God shape our lives. So that as we understand what is true about the God who made us and is real and who created this universe and us, we then want to live and act accordingly. And the, the most central truth that we want to live in response to is the fact that we are saved by grace through faith alone and it's not of ourselves. Our, our salvation was secured before we even knew it. So as we get into talking about finance today, and like it is a tricky, you know, a tricky topic to talk about. Maybe Zeb doesn't have COVID and Jez has just run away from it because it is a hard one to talk about. I just wanted just from the very outset to say that we, we aren't talking about this and we don't even think about what we do with our money so that we can make God love us. But we want to be good stewards because God has loved us. I'm just going to pray now as we get into this uh, that we would see that as we look at and think about the fact that God owns everything and that money is for advancing the kingdom, that we would also just say that forming healthy habits around our finances aren't how we win the grace of God, but it's how we respond to and enjoy what has happened in Jesus dying for us um, in our place on the cross. So let's just pray now. Heavenly Father, you are the author of life. In sin you were dead, and yet you've made us alive in Christ. You've ransomed us from the grave. You've taken away the debt that held us captive to the fires of hell. The blood of Christ has washed us and made us white as snow. We are free in Christ. So may we not submit again to a yoke of slavery. May your spirit give us power to live as free children of grace. As we look to be good stewards, may we not live from fear and guilt, but freedom and the grace of Jesus. Amen. Now we're we'll going to be looking at, um, at the story and a bit beyond it that Claire just read out for us. Um, and if you've been along for a while, we've been spending a lot of our time over the last year in the Gospel of Matthew. It's one of the accounts of Jesus' life, death, teaching. This is a very different part of the Bible. It's telling the story of the nation of Israel um, uh, over a thousand years before the time of Jesus. And we're jumping really into the middle of a story here. It's at a point in the, in the nation of Israel's history that is, you know, I guess the golden period. It's the, the country is stable. They've come out of a period of war and conflict. And they're actually, for the first time in a long time, enjoying and experiencing some prosperity, some security, some safety. And so they can start doing a bit of forward thinking about what the future might look like. And David, who's the king at the time, knows that the next step in the story of Israel, in kind of fulfilling what God has said will happen, is to build a temple. This physical uh, space that, that symbolizes or even um, embodies the presence of God among his people. And so he goes to Nathan, a prophet, who's this wise man, and who says, yep, a, a temple's a good idea. But then God intervenes and he says to David, no, you're actually not going to build this temple. You've, you've done a, a lot. Your son Solomon is going to build the temple and I'm going to establish his kingdom forever. And so David's like, great, that's, that's a great idea. I, I support that. And, he, and he's keen to do this because he knows that God's plan is going to continue to build his kingdom even after David dies, even though he won't be around to see it, but he's going to be a part of it. So he gathers the people of Israel all together for a two-day gathering. Um, and so if you ever feel like we're going a bit long here, um, spare, spare a thought for them. And on the first day of this two-day gathering, what he does is he takes a collection from the people to resource the building of this temple. And so you see this in those first couple of verses in, in 1 Chronicles 29. It says, And David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon my son, whom God alone has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great, for the palace will not be for man but for the Lord God. 
So I provided for the house of my God as far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, the wood for the things of wood, besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, antimony, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble. And so it's this kind of lavish, kind of over-the-top, in a sense, donation on, on David's part that he's already kind of got, got the ball rolling with this, you know, bringing all these things together. And what we see here is that David is really future-minded with his resources. He's putting basically all of his wealth aside for something he's not even going to experience personally. And he's doing this because he knows that his son Solomon is young and he wants to ensure that he's got the best possible chance of pulling off this massive project. And, and it makes sense that this is the end of, towards the end of David's life. And as you get closer to the end, you start thinking less about the immediate things, but more about what really matters and about legacy. And so David's mind has turned to the future. And he wants to ensure that even in his final years of his life and of his reign, he's doing what he can to advance the kingdom of God going forward beyond his years. And the temple is significant in that because the temple was significant in just establishing God's kingdom on earth. It was where the sacrifice for sin was made annually at the Day of Atonement, um, which foreshadowed the Lamb of God, Jesus, who would take away the sins of the world. It was a place where the people of Israel could come and actually just experience God's presence among them, which is something that we might take for granted because we've got the Holy Spirit enabling us to have that now and everywhere. It foreshadowed Jesus himself. In, in John 2, Jesus says, Destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. And he's talking about himself there. And it foreshadows the church. Who, um, who we are told are being built into a temple. And so David knows this is significant. This, this is what needs to happen to move things forward, and he wants to make it happen. He wants to be part of the next phase in the gospel story. That is the, the, story, the good news story that we all find ourselves in. The story that spans from the creation of the world and God making it good to, to having sin break into that through us, uh, bringing death into the world. But the whole story of the Bible... And beyond the Bible is God's plan to save people from sin and death and to restore a way back to himself. And the part of the story that you and I find ourselves in now is uh, having had Jesus come and die in our place and rise again is to see this good news spread not just in Israel but through the world to Australia and beyond that everyone can have an opportunity to know this God. And it's a, it's a, it's a long-term story. It keeps rolling. It'll... it'll very possibly continue rolling beyond our time. And as one commentator has written, God calls every generation to invest in the cause of the gospel for the next generation. And we've been, we've been blessed by this reality. We've been blessed as a church, and we actually only exist as a church because of those who have gone before us. A hundred years ago, a man in Balmain, and this is back when there was you know, a coal mine and probably just docks and maybe even some farms, um, had a vision to, to advance the gospel into the future. So he built a building up on Darling Street with his own personal funds, inscribed on the top of it, Till He Come, so that that building might be a space and a tool to enable people to come and encounter God. And like that was a hundred years ago. He's long gone. But what an amazing vision. And... We've received, that's the building that, that City Light started in. It's the building we now run Connect and Alpha in and, and things during the week. That his investment in the kingdom has continued. It's an, it's an amazing reality that we've just, we are beneficiaries of that, of that vision, of that, that understanding of paying it forward for the next generation. 
of, of women and men who use their best minds and finances to think about how we can advance the cause of the gospel um, for as long into the future as we can reach. So the, the connection between what's happening in David's time, it's a very different part of the story, but what, what they're doing in that time is thinking, what is next for the advancement of the kingdom and how can we contribute towards that? And it's worth us thinking about the fact that there is a sense in which that is our turn now to pay it forward, to, to think about the future, to think about what God is doing and will continue to do in this world. How can we be investing in the cause of the gospel for the next generation? And even just this itself is a witness to the world. The way that the gospel unites generations. There's just this kind of um, respect and love that David has for his son when he says, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great, for the, pal- for the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So I have provided for the house of my God as far as I was able. So David looks at his son, he sees that he's young and inexperienced, but sees that as a reason to help him because he wants the kingdom to go forward. That's what stewards do. They look forward and they think, how can we invest? How can we join together a work that is beyond ourselves, bigger than us, and pay it forward for the advancement of the kingdom? But one of the questions you might have then in response to that is, well, well, why? And the answer is really clear in this text as we read on, because God is great and everything belongs to him. Stewards understand that everything belongs to God. So what happens in this story is they take this offering on the first day of the gathering, and it's massive. The, the, the standards of giving are just beyond you know, anything you could really imagine. There's ample provision made for it. And in response to this big donation and, and generosity, David prays this prayer of thanks. In 1 Chronicles 29, verse 10, which will come up on the screen, we see this, just, um, this beautiful prayer. It says, Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly, and David said... Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to thus offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. So you see a bunch of stuff in that prayer, which is an amazing prayer. Just as David pours out praise for God. He says, blessed are you, God of Israel, our Father. He's just, he's just rooted in this reality that God is Father to his people. He's tender and near and available, making provision and protection. He's not an absentee dad who just created the world and left it to its own devices. And it, it speaks of God's power that there is none available to contest the power of God that he can create by his word and destroy by the same. He has no need to contend with his enemies. He can undo them as a child might undo a hair ribbon. And it says that everything in heaven and earth is his. Everything that we, that we see and experience to this harbor, to the Andromeda galaxy, it's all his. 
So it makes sense that David then says, both riches and honor come from you, so it's his to give. It is God that has given us everything we've received. And so that brings in David a sense, I guess, of humility, something that's quite countercultural to us today. He says, who am I and what is my people that we should thus be able to offer willingly? For all things come from you and of your own we've given you. It's kind of like when, if you're a parent, if you get given a gift from one of your kids. Like whether if they're at school, maybe given $10 to go to the Father's Day kind of fair and they bring you back something that you don't want. Um, but even from a young age, it's like in a kid's instinct. So my son River, who's only just turning two, you know, I'll just be sitting on the couch. He might just bring me a banana and say, here you go. And I'm like, mate, it's already mine. Like you just got it from the kitchen. Um, but he enjoys that act of giving me something. And I enjoy him giving it to me, even though it's, it's, it's my banana. We all know what's going on there. There's a sense in which that's what's going on in this, in this offering here. God has given these people resources and they're enjoying the experience of investing what God has given them for his glory and for the advancement of the kingdom. So there's a, this is the invitation that we receive as well to, to be people who can just recognize that what we have, whether it's our, our, our educations or our minds or our bodies or our wealth or whatever it is, it comes from God and he's the God of everything. And so we can give with joy, which brings us to our, to our third and last point, that stewards give with joy. You see the joy throughout this passage. I'm just going to read one more chunk from verse 17 onwards. It says, this is David, says, I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I've seen your people who are present here offering freely and joy, joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the heart of your people and direct their hearts towards you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. Then David said to all the assembly, Bless the Lord your God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord and the God of their fathers and bowed their heads and paid homage to the Lord and to the king. And they offered sacrifices to the Lord. And on the next day offered burnt offerings to the Lord, a thousand bulls, a thousand rams, a thousand lambs. And with their drink offerings and sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. And they ate and drank before the Lord on the day with great gladness. Now five times in that passage there's this Hebrew word nadav, which just means to volunteer or give freely. It just conjures up, just, it's not just giving something, but it's giving it with your heart behind it as well. It's this full delight, not reluctant, not stingy, not kind of disappointed, but with gladness. And they, they followed up with a party. They actually just eat and celebrate what, that they've been able to do this and, and do this together and, and give. Noam Chomsky, the writer, um, famously said tax day should be a day of celebration, which is a pretty kind of jarring kind of concept to think about. It sounds ridiculous to us. I don't think anyone enjoys paying tax. Even though we love roads, love hospitals, all that kind of thing, we don't want to be the ones to foot, to foot the bill. We want the, we want the results, but we don't, want to, we don't want to contribute deep down. We, we hope someone else does, but we love holding on to our money. But 2,900 years ago, a nation got together for a state-funded project gave of their money, and then partied. And that's the power of the gospel story. And they didn't even know Jesus. They didn't even kind of see the, see, see the good thing that happened at the end. But, that, but they were joyous. They wanted to contribute. 
So that was then, that was a long time ago, and you might be thinking, well, you know, how does that even fit with today? We've got different stresses and, and worries, and, you know, life's more complicated now, maybe. But if you see in this passage that David actually prays for us, I don't know if you noticed that in there. In verse 18, it said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. Now, David's not naive about people's hearts. Um, he's not naive about the fact that he can be in one moment celebrating and, and generous and the next minute prone to wander, selfish, inward-looking. So he prayed for God's people, which now spans the world, that we would advance the cause of the gospel for the next generation. That we would do this because God is great and almighty and sovereign and that we would do it wholeheartedly and with joy. That's what we as, as leaders pray for you guys as a church. That we would, and, and even for ourselves, that we would have a future, mind, future kingdom mindset. That we would recognize that God owns everything and that we would just be joyful in being able to participate in that and contribute towards that. So how does this play out for us? Because we're obviously not building like a physical building. But what we are trying to do is get the gospel out. Stewarding your money to this end means how can I use what I've got to get the gospel out? And there isn't, like with the temple, just one thing that everyone has to do in the exact same way. It could start with just the simple stuff, with just using what you've got in your home and your money to, to open your home to neighbors, to have some money aside in your kind of weekly budget or however you do it, to, to have someone over for dinner, which costs a bit of money if you make it nice, but it's, but it's worth doing and it loves people. Or to have money on standby for when someone in your apartment block or in your street needs some help, that you can actually go and be a blessing to them. And when that need arises to actually follow through with it. It could just be these small and just many things in life as we steward our money. It's not just one thing. But a part of what it means to follow Jesus and what it has meant over the many, many years is to actually think about how, how can I take some portion of what I've got financially and, and put it to work for gospel purposes. To, to address poverty and injustice uh, in the world and to advance the gospel both here and, in, and, and, and around the world. And there's no like, number that the Bible says that this has to be or you know, if anyone tells you there is, they're, they're, they're not quite right on that. Um, or if anyone says that you kind of have to give you know, over a certain amount in order to kind of get blessings in return and that God's kind of keeping some balance like that as well, that's not in Scripture. What, what we're given in Scripture is just an encouragement to be generous and to work that out between us and God. Many people do land around about 10% um, because that's the number that was in the Old Testament and you you, know, you know, need some kind of number. And even you know, a guy, William McCaskill of Effective Altruism, which is a non-religious organization, just suggests that that's like a, a, you know, a decent proportion of your income to, to be a generous person. But it's, look, you, don't, you can work that out for yourself. And it might be more if you're a CEO. It might be, be less if you're in a circumstance where you've got less at the moment. But it's to be able to have something to give away. And that could be giving to any number of organizations. We've got an account. If you go on our website to the Give section, we've got two accounts. And the first of those accounts is, is, in, is everything that goes in there. We give away to organizations that are trying to do good work and advance the gospel in the world. Um, to people who are missionaries and overseas, to, to open doors, which su supports persecuted churches, to Diamond Pregnancy, which supports single mums here in Sydney to hands and feet, which supports the homeless and the needy. And so that's worth giving to as you think about how to steward your resources. 
then as well, that's our main activity here at City Light is advancing the kingdom. That's what we're trying to do as we try to reach new people and, and, and um, with our resources build this church up to be a community of missionaries. And we rely, everything we do here, on, on the general ongoing giving of our members. And like Cam said, we don't talk about this every week. We don't pass a, a plate around because we don't just want to kind of pressure people and guilt people and make people uncomfortable all the time. Um, and we, we are thankful for the ongoing generosity that we do see here. So I encourage you towards those ends if it's been some time or it's kind of slipped off your radar to, to maybe think about those ongoing opportunities that you have to steward your finances and to give. But as we think about the next phase for church and, and what's next, um, like we did last year, there's a few things that are just a bit above and beyond our current budget that we're looking to, looking to raise for to set us up for the year. And I think Jez said last week, just rem- remembering back, last year we set ourselves the goal um, to raise $20,000. Um, and within a couple of weeks, it had gone up to $37,000, which we didn't just spend on like a, a, a great staff party. That's actually... Um, Going ahead, to, we've now got enough like, money in our rent account to pay for this hall to carry us through to the end of this year, which was the goal was to raise it for last year. So an amazing blessing. Um, and, and, and great to be able to go into this year with that, you know, in a sense, that security as a church. But there's just three things that you'll... And if you're looking... This is a fine time to grab that little next fly on your seat if you want to. Um, that we're, we're looking... That we, we think would be some great next steps in enabling us to advance the gospel to the next generation in particular. And firstly, it's, it's this traineeship. So Josh, who's been running around doing a whole bunch of stuff this morning, um, has stepped back from full-time work to, to work here at City Light three days a week um, to get some training, but also just to, to already now be bringing really valuable contributions to our team and to our church. He's uh, starting a youth group tomorrow. So that's like happening straight off, off the bat because we've got a few youth here. You can start meeting with them and, and building those, um, those young guys and girls up. Um, he'll be helping to run City Kids and resourcing that, which is, again, a massive need for us as a church at the moment. Um, and he's already been doing a whole lot around our, our music and our worship and strengthening that and, and leading those teams as well. Josh is a, a man of character. He's a, a great friend and he's a guy with a servant heart. And he, even just in the last two weeks, he's just been a, a massive blessing to our team and helping us think through things, you know, even just a new perspective. So we're loving having him on board. And so we just want to make sure that position is, is supplied for. So I encourage you, that's, that's the first thing on there. Second is Easter and Alpha. One of the things that's been a shame about the last couple of years is um, some of the opportunities that we kind of have on an annual basis to have people come in and explore and connect in with this community have been either cancelled or not all that we'd hoped. We're, we want to go into this, um, I guess, our next opportunity over Easter by making it one of the best Easters uh, we've, we've had and to actually have some resource to make this a place which really feels warm and inviting and to have food and that kind of thing. And just follow that with, with Alpha, which so far we've only run online, but we want to do this in person. We want to have it um, well catered for uh, and to, to make the space we're doing that, again, a place that you would feel confident to invite your friends. So having some... Um, Having some funds to, to, to do that would be really helpful as well, that it's not currently in our budget. And thirdly, around training and support, we've got um, a lot of our serving teams, from our kids' teams to our, to our worship teams to our small group leaders, have over the last two years just been pushed in so many ways. Um, they've been a massive blessing. But we want to just have, um, we wanna have some resources aside that we can actually get some good training and support in. 
to get professionals or people that know a lot about their particular area to be able to come in and do some training and helping with our specific teams um, to build them up, help them follow Jesus and help them do their roles well. And so contributing to something like this is the opposite of, of impulse buying. And so we very specifically haven't, we're not going to right now pass something around. We're not going to get you to fill in your credit card details and collect them because we don't just want you to do this quick thing. Um, and we don't want you to just feel that pressure. So what we're asking you to do is to go away this week and just to pray over it. Um, on, you've got a link there to, the, to a website where you can, in your own time, if you choose, um, contribute to this if you're in a place where that is good stewardship for you. But to go into this year, just, and not just even through this, this kind of giving thing, but just to be a church that is on about seeing the kingdom of God expand and to pay it forward to the next generation, to the kids who are here amongst us now, to the youth that go to this high school during the week. We want to advance the gospel for the next generation. So right now what we're going to do, we're going to have a, um, just a quick pause where we, we would love to hear from you. You can fill in those white cards if you are, you are new or you've got any questions or you've got anything you want followed up. We'd love to do that. But rather than just me pray now, um, like the people of Israel, uh, this is something that we're going to be doing together. And so uh, we're going to have a time in a minute um, for some open prayer, where Cam will lead it in a moment, um, where a mic will come around. And if you, if you want to actually be praying for, for God to provide, for us to be a church that is on mission, for maybe you can pray for the high school here, um, pray for us as a church that would be serving like we've been hearing about these last few weeks. That's an opportunity for us to gather around this and just to be asking for God to provide for us as a church. But just take a minute now. You might just want to reflect, but it really is a time if you want to fill in those white cards with any questions you want to connect in with church um, to do that. And then in a moment, Cam will come up and lead us in a time of open prayer. Um, well, as you reflect on that, um, and if you've been praying uh, to God to help him uh, reveal what is in our hearts and, and to help us think this through over the next week, um, we are going to now have a chance of, of, of open prayer, which we haven't done in a little while now. Um, so Anna's at the back as well with a mic. If you um, want to raise your hand and pray, we're just going to have a, uh, a little moment now to do that. Um, praying for... Um, yeah, for the advancement of the gospel in our context, um, consider it globally as well. Not only just us here, Balmain, Sydney, beyond, for our missionaries overseas as well. Um, there's plenty to pray through. So if you want to do that, I'm going to kick us off. Um, so you bow your heads with me. And if you want to, just raise your hand. We'll come around. Father, thank you for your goodness towards us. We thank you that all things are yours, that you are the God who shows uh, your... Um, abundant wealth to us day in, day out in the person of Jesus that we might see him clearly and the wonderful gift of grace for the pouring out of his blood on our behalf. What a rich gift that is towards us. We pray that uh, this gospel would, would challenge and shape us uh, to think not for our personal advancement but for the advancement of your glory, for seeing those who don't know you uh, come into relationship with you that we as a church family might grow uh, to, more, uh, to be more like you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.